Entrepreneurs Over 40, Episode 47, with Warren Wilson talking about how he invented Better Blocks. What truly surprised me was the willingness of people to help me out, to support me, and to be involved. It was truly a humbling experience to think that, that people thought enough of me, thought enough of my product, that they wanted to be involved in it, that they wanted to put money into it, and that they wanted to make it successful. I never realised that about people and about humanity. I was an introverted guy who shut myself off from people. So the, the catch is when you shut yourself off from people, you don't get to see how good people really can be because I shut myself off from it. You're listening to Entrepreneurs Over 40, the show for somewhat mature entrepreneurs and side hustlers. And now your host, Greg Mills. Our guest today said that inventing has allowed him to experience successes far beyond what he ever believed possible. He invented a child's building block system, Better Blocks, which went on to achieve $45 million in sales. This was unimaginable success for a broke, reclusive guy working from a shed in his backyard. Inventing also gave him the financial freedom to become a full-time dad for the first three years after his daughter was born. The inventive process taught him about failure, how to pick himself up from the hopelessness of being bankrupt, how to recover from the heartache or even the anger surrounding failed relationships. He said, most importantly, inventing had taught him the hidden value of inventions. It taught him how we can make a positive contribution to this world and the people who live in our world with us. His invention, Better Blocks, brought a son and his dad together to play together for the first time in four years. Value? Priceless. He thinks that everyone is an inventor in their own way. His aim is to encourage that spark of inventiveness inside you to burn a little brighter, to make your life and others around you a little happier and more successful. Without further ado, let me introduce Warren Wilson. Wow, thanks, Greg, for that for that wonderful introduction. To be honest, I haven't heard that for a while, and it brought back a lot of good memories for me because, like you said, it, inventing has been very kind to me. And, and I didn't realize that my products brought, brought a lot of happiness and joy into other people's lives. Like, and I didn't kind of know that side about inventing. So, so listening to your introduction, your very kind, wonderful introduction, it was great. Thank you. Well, thank you for being here. Now, Warren, can you take a few moments and fill in the gaps from that intro and bring us up to speed with what's going on in your world today? Well... Yes, it's, there's a lot of changes went from, from Better Blocks. Better Blocks, you know, as you pointed out, was a very successful product for me. To be honest, it was successful not because I was, I was, I was brilliant. I, I was an inventor that came up with a reasonably good idea, I thought. And, and on, my, on my journey, I saw many far better ideas and Better Blocks never make it onto the marketplace. And that was mainly because the inventors gave up. But, but what I was is I was persistent. I had what I thought was a pretty pretty good idea and I was persistent. I kept it, I kept going. Um, or as my wife would say, Warren, you're pig-headed. Um, I, I prefer the word <laughs> persistent. But it was successful because I had a great team of people around me. Like I had guys like Kelvin Claney who was just a wonderful marketing person and John Miller who was 
great in advertising. David Williams, who, who had a who had a phenomenally good manufacturing plant. So I, I had a great team of people around me to get that off the ground. But what it did for me was, as an introverted guy, kind of living out of his back shed almost, um, and I had the personality of, if you remember those old phones where you picked the phone up and it went beep, 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 like I had the personality of a dial tone, right? <laughs> so, for, so for a guy like that to, to all of a sudden become part of a pretty successful international business in 12 months, I was way out of my depth. I was, I was dealing with people I had no experience in dealing with. I was making decisions. I had no idea how to make these decisions. In the 90s, I didn't have a, a team of people who supported me, so to speak, you know. So I was way out of my depth, right? And interestingly enough, I lost my confidence in being an inventor. So and my ability to get things done, it was just, I was just too overwhelmed by what was going on. So what I did was I invested in in what I thought was a friend of mine's company here in Australia, and I, I put me and my wife we put way too much money in it to be honest. And the company went broke. Actually, the guy that owned the company ran he just he ran off with all the money, right, and left left some of us investors holding the bag. So the end result of that was that we went bankrupt. Me and my wife have spent the past ten years kind of digging ourselves out of that hole. But in the meantime, um, after Better Blocks, I, one thing about the success of Better Blocks was it gave me the opportunity to speak into schools, speak with kids, mm-hmm. because you know, the, you know, Warren Wilson was was portrayed as a successful inventor. So, so schools asked me to speak to their kids, and and I loved it. And what I soon realised was that schools had very few. Um, resources to teach kids about entrepreneurship, about inventing, and about how money works. The kind of resources that I would have loved when I was a kid. So I started to develop programs and that to help kids out. I've never lost my passion for for teaching kids, teaching kids the things that I wish that I knew when I was a kid because it would have made my life a bit easier. So that's really what I've spent the past 20 years on is developing um, programs for kids. And it's really exciting because I've kind of done a lot of my apprenticeship, so to speak, and now we're just looking at how we can get them into the marketplace um, to help kids out. So it's gone from developing project, uh, developing products to, to helping develop kids, you know. So it's been a journey for me, Greg. It's been a journey. Well, that's pretty cool. Now, backing up just a little bit, did you come from an entrepreneurial or inventor's background at all? Did anybody in your family growing up invent anything or have their own business? Actually, that, actually, that's a great question. I was fortunate enough to have a dad who was who had his own engineering business. He used to race motorbikes, used to build his own bikes, and he was very well respected here in Australia. For, for what he did. He used to have a, a camshaft grinding business. He used to grind camshafts and make race camshafts for, for motorbikes and for cars. He was the first person in Australia to do that. So, so I had that natural flair. He developed his own fuel injection system as well. So I had that natural engineering flair. And my mum was a dressmaker. And again, she was quite well respected in Australia. She made dresses and that for some very high profile people here in Australia at the time. So I had that I had that inventive flair, 
but what happened was, you know, but my mum and dad were also sole business people, so they worked very hard. They had four kids. They worked very hard. So I kind of, I, uh, you know, there were some things that, that I definitely great things I learned from them about persistence and about other people and, and being creative. When it came to setting up like a, a business, uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't necessarily, uh, the way they did it wasn't necessarily the easier the easier way to be honest so it was it was an you know it's an interesting title plus uh, you know my dad had a stroke when i was nine and um he like he virtually his business closed down and and he was incapacitated and then my mum passed away when i was 11 so so i had this really great childhood and then it was like it all imploded around my ears uh so it, it provided a teenage you know, teenage life. So we kind of, my dad was trying to look after me because I was only a young kid and, and I was trying to look after my dad. So <laughs> it turned into a bit of a, a bit of a fiasco, really. The, the thing that I really regret is I could have done a better job of looking after my dad, of being more respectful for my dad. But, you know, when I was just, becoming a teenager I wasn't capable of doing that so so I grew up in my teenage years to be really introverted like no confidence uh and I was to be honest I was bitter and I was angry and I was arrogant and it wasn't until my late 20s that I realized that well Warren being a bitter arrogant guy is really not going to get me anywhere so I started to do a lot of work on myself just to change, just trying to become a better human being, and that's really what I've spent a lot of work on. It, it was an interesting, different childhood that, uh, that you know, t- taught me a lot, but also it was, it was a tough gig for me to go through at the time. You know, plenty of kids I know have had worse childhoods than me, but, but that was the way it was, mate, you know. So you're out of school and you're working. What are you doing at that point before you invent better blocks, I guess? What am I doing? I love motorbikes and I love motorbike racing. So in my late teens and early 20s, I was involved in motorbike racing. We had some of the quickest bikes, super bikes and speedway bikes here here in Australia and drag racing. You know, we, we, we had some really top bikes and some really fast bikes. Um, and I, I used to ride them occasionally, but, but to be honest, I was never much of a rider, right? I was, I was far better building engines. Mm. That was my creative outlet, I guess. I had a little engineering shop so that I could build bikes for other people and build engines for other people. That was my creative outlet. I, I met some really wonderful people in, in motor racing in Australia. That was what I did up until probably my early 20s or before I invented Better Blocks. That's what I did. How did the idea for Better Blocks come about? I developed a toy before that called the Shufflebug. It was a phenomenal, it was a toy that kids loved, right? But at the end of the day, it cost me $100,000, that toy, because I knew nothing about business and I made some horrendous mistakes. What it did for me was I was over in Nuremberg in Germany, the, the Nuremberg Toy Fair. What happened was uh, this was near the end of the sh- or trying to get the shuffle bug off the ground, and and I of course remember there was a, there was a guy called Vital Derez who was a, who was a friend who was a friend of mine a Belgian guy, and he and we were sitting next to the Lego stand, 
and you know, the, the, in the nineties there was Lego and there was Lego and there was Lego because you couldn't copy it. So, mm-hmm. and he said, Warren, you're an inventor. He said, we really need something to compete with Lego. He said, you're an inventor. You know, what do you come up with something? And and I kind of dismissed it. And I can I can remember I came back to Adelaide and it was still in the back of my mind. I had the worries of the shuffle bug you know, business not working and all this stuff. But I was driving down one of the main streets of Adelaide past Adelaide Oval, our main sporting arena. And and I remember that the idea popped into my head, ah, oh, why not build a building block that moved? And that was how the idea for Better Blocks came about. It, it all started from someone telling me their problem. You know, their problem was we need something to compete with Lego. And then it's like it was in the back of my mind and I just was mulling. I, I was subconsciously mulling over it, Greg. I didn't set out to invent yep. it. I was just subconsciously mulling over it, you know. Yeah, amazing what that subconscious can do when it's unleashed. Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. What was the shuffle bug? Ah, oh, the shuffle bug was a kid's ride-on toy. It's a little bit hard to explain. but It's a triangular seat with a set of handlebars that used to twist Mm-hmm. And it would kind of self-propel. It worked on the action of like a fish. It would self-propel along okay. a, a fairly flat surface. And kids did, you know, they, we took it to schools and tested it and kids, and kids loved it. You know, they really loved the toy, but I, I had no idea about marketing. I thought I did. I had no idea about selling it. I just didn't have it. And then some of the people I brought in, it wasn't, you know, they weren't quite the right people. And it was just, it just didn't work. From business, a financial point of view, it was a great product that didn't work. And in the end, I, I was $100,000 in debt and had to call it quits. So I started off Better Blocks. I was, I was $100,000 behind. So I had a fair incentive to make Better Blocks work, mate. How did you validate the idea to make sure there wasn't anything out there? And then make sure that it was viable. Did you do any testing? I, I guess I subconsciously validated the idea because, because I, you know, because I those days it was pre-internet days, and you know, I just walked. Yeah. You know, I'd be in toy shops and I'd see what was on the shelves, and there was nothing on the shelves that compete that would compete with Lego, particularly a block that would move. You know, there are other type of wooden construction, other styles of construction kits, but there was nothing like like better blocks. And having my little engineering business, I thought, all right, I need to, you know, maybe I need to make some of these blocks. So what I did was was I made a really simple injection molding tool to mold plastic. Mm-hmm. I made up some really simple tools because there was uh, five parts in the original in the original kit. <coughs> so I made up some simple tools that I could mold the blocks. So I could mold the blocks. And then, you know, I needed to perfect the clipping system because they clipped together like a better blocks clips together like a press start on a pair of jeans. Because it took me okay. quite a it took me a few months to work out how to clip them together. And in the end, the, the the answer was right under my nose when I was clipping my jeans together one day. I thought, oh, that's how I can clip my blocks together. So I kind of I made some samples and I made about five thousand blocks. And it would take me around about a minute to make every block. And because it was a, you know, it was a, it was a machine I'd made myself. Probably about every second block was a reject. So you can work out how many minutes or how many days it took me to make five thousand blocks. But once I had some blocks, then I could show kids, and then I could show potential investors, and then I could show potential manufacturers, and, and I could actually show people what I had and ask them if they wanted to be involved. 
So, so that was how I did it. At that point, did you bother with getting a, a patent or anything? Uh, I didn't. I, initially, I didn't. No, I was only, I was only showing people in Australia, and, and initially, I didn't. But okay. before I went, when I seriously started approaching venture capital capitalists and, and, and was serious about it, I was fortunate enough to, to, to know one of the main patent attorneys here in Australia, a guy called Ken Madman, who's, who's since passed on many years ago. But Ken gave me some priceless advice for, for, um, for the not, – not often patent attorneys would give you this. He said, you know, you can apply for a full patent and all the rest of it, and, you know, it's probably going to wind up costing you $100,000, which is money I didn't have. Um, and you don't know if you're going to sell the product. Or he said, what you can do is you can, you can apply for a provisional patent or have a PPA, provisional patent application. And it was, you know, it, then it only cost me, I think, maybe 50 or or $100. It wasn't a great deal of money. But he said, what it does is it gives you um, protection when you go and show people because you can prove that, well, this is my idea and, I was, you know, I've got it before, you know, I've, I've got it. So if people tried to copy it, you have some protection on it. And it's a reasonably inexpensive way to do it. So that's what Ken advised me to do and that's what I did. I, I applied for a PPA. Uh, provisional patent application so I so I did that and it was you know most patent attorneys like to lead you down the track of you need well I'm not sure I'm sure about these days but they like to lead you down the track of, of applying for full patents whereas Ken said well no you know I really think this is a is a really cost-effective way to go so that, that was that was how I did it. I'm going to ask a stupid question but were you applying to the Australian government for patenting or were you applying to the U.S. assuming it would be sold there or, or how, how did uh, that work? Actually, that's a great question, Greg. Um, I applied through the Australian, like, like in the U.S. you've got the USPTO, the U.S. Patent and Trademark Association. You have the mm-hmm. equivalent association government organisation here in Australia. And what you'll find is most of the Western civilised countries have a treaty so if i apply for a ppa or a patent in this apply for a ppa in australia it gives me it automatically gives me protection in all those other countries now when when i go ahead and file a patent i do need to file patents in those other countries but they kind of recognize it it's like an association they've got and that's how it works so you got your patent now what do you do next (laughs) <laughs> got my, I got my blocks, I got my patent. What do I do next? That's a very good question because the easy part's coming up with the idea I found. Well, see, I, see, I like I say to people, I, I you know, I was an inventor. I, I was, I had some reasonably good ideas, but that was all I was. I wasn't a marketer. You know, I was a hundred thousand dollars in debt. I, I didn't have a lot of else going for me. So what I did is I tried to find people who would like venture capital people who'd be interested in backing me, manufacturing people, marketing people, anyone I thought would be interested in better blocks. And I I went all, you know, I shopped around Australia probably for two to three years looking for people and and no one was interested in being involved in the business side of it. You know, to be honest, no one ever criticised my product. They loved the blocks. But they business, no, they, they didn't want to be involved. And here's how 
here's how life works, Greg. This is why I say to everybody, you've got to speak to people about what you're doing because you never know where the opportunities come up. Mm-hmm. I was talking to my sister's boyfriend, John Wilkie, and I'll remember this till the day I pass on. And John said, you know, Warren, and remember, John's a, he's a carpenter, he's a cabinet maker, knows nothing about the toy industry, not much about sales, nothing to do with him. And he said, Warren, he said, why don't you ring up a mate of mine, Kelvin Claney? You know, he, he's actually a New Zealander. He's moved over to America and he's doing pretty well out of out of direct response TV advertising in America. He just may be interested. Right? So that was this offhand comment in a conversation. So John gave me Kelvin's phone number. I rang Kelvin up. And the end result of that offhand comment was a product that went on to sell for, have $45 million in sales and we sold 2 million. Like we sold 6 billion blocks, 2, two million kits. And that's how life works. Like, like you can't write that sort of stuff in a business <laughs> plan or, you know, you, you, just can't, you just can't write that stuff or predict it. My best character traits weren't really obvious at the time. Um, but if someone had said to me when I was developing Better Blocks, Warren, you know, look, don't worry, mate, because you're going to sell $45 million worth of this stuff and you're going to sell 6 billion blocks, so just keep going. I would have said they were absolutely insane. There was no way I could have I, I could have brought that into my reality at the time, and yet that's what happened. One of my sayings is that that obviously the universe ha- had far greater plans for me than my um excuse the word than my piddly little plans. <laughs> <laughs> so how did it get manufactured? Well, I was I was really fortunate with Kelvin. Because um, actually, just like there's a couple of little interesting things that that your listeners may be interested in. Like, like when I went over to see Better Blocks or to show Kelvin Better Blocks, he was kind of half interested, and you know, he, he was interested, but not he wasn't across the line, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And Kelvin was telling me the story afterwards. Was that here's what Kelvin? This is why Kelvin decided. Yep, I'm in Better Blocks. Was his wife. Robin said to Kelvin, she said, Kelvin, you got to be in this because kids love these blocks and kids will love them. you got to be in it. So it was actually Kelvin's wife that I'm truly thankful for because she was the one that, that kind of tipped Kelvin over the line to say yes, not to say he might not have said yes, I don't know. So, again, it's one of those serendipitous opportunities that um, – that, that kind of, you know, you, you kind of never know how that works. So, yeah, I just, you know, I just thought that was another little interesting thing. But, yeah, about manufacturing, um, Kelvin, here's what Kelvin said to me just before I answer the manufacturing. Kelvin said to me, he said, look, Warren, what I'll do is I'll test, I'll put in $30,000 and for that I'll make, a, I'll make a direct response TV commercial We'll put it up on air, we'll test it, and we'll see how it works. If it works and makes money, we'll, you know, we'll do a deal. And if it doesn't work, we'll shake hands and walk away. And, and that agreement was all done. We came to that agreement. I was having breakfast in Florida with, with Kelvin, and, and I remember I was eating grits for breakfast, and I'll never eat grits again. But, you know, but I always remember that. 
But we wrote down a deal on a napkin. And we agreed to a royalty percentage. We agreed to an upfront fee. And I think there might have been one other thing we put on the napkin. And that was it. We shook hands and, and walked away. So that, that was how easy that the, that the deal worked. And Kelvin had the financial resources to try it out. But fortunately, he was dealing with, he dealt with some manufacturers in New Zealand before. So Kelvin, um, Kelvin said, look, give David a ring because I think David Williams would be really, you know, he'd be interested in this. So I gave David a ring and he was keenly interested. And I remember this, this is the sort of people that you want to deal with. When I was, you know, when I was trying to get people interested in better blocks in Australia, they, they weren't that interested really. When I, I rang up David, right, and I said, look, you know, I've been speaking to Kelvin. Kelvin's interested in selling the blocks. You know, I, I need a bit of advice on the blocks as to the final design and that because from my prototypes to a, to a proper production block is a, is a step, right? It's a, it's a step to take to go from a prototype to a production block. Mm-hmm. So I said to David, I said, look, I send you across some sketches, and if you can just give us a bit of advice, it would be really appreciative. And within a week, David had sent me back some full-blown engineering drawings of my block that would have cost him about a thousand bucks. And he he sent he sent them across by express delivery. They arrived on my doorstep a week later, and he said, "Warren, is this what you want?" And and I thought, wow, like anyone who's this enthusiastic and is willing to do this for better blocks, they're my manufacturer. So that's how we, that's how we set up the manufacturing. That's how the manufacturing came about. And David was the best. He, he was a godsend to, to better blocks and because it's like I say, we had about 84 blocks in, in the range by the time we'd finished. I kind of thought of the first five, right? <laughs> so that leaves 79 blocks that weren't my idea, mate. There were other people's idea. And part of it was David. David would, like, like, we had our most popular blocks were actually the ones that would glow in the dark and they would magically change colour. You'd dip them in warm water and they'd change colour, right? Okay. And, and I can remember that David would ring me up every now and again and say, Warren, we got this new plastic that glows in the dark. You've got to make your blocks out of this, right? So a whole new range would be would come out simply because David said, you know, we've got this new material. And, 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 you know, and he'd ring me up sometimes and he'd say, look, Warren, we've got this new plastic that you, that you dip it in warm water and it changes colour. You've got to make your blocks out of this. So that was another whole new range. So that's the advantage of having a, a great people on your team is that often they'll come up with the great ideas. And, yeah, and they come and I'll unashamedly say, the best ideas with better blocks were not mine. I, I came up with the block and how to clip it together. But the really cool stuff wasn't my idea. That's the advantage of having, having good people on your team as they'll expand your range and come up with stuff that I, could, that I would have never thought of. So, yeah, that's kind of an insight into, that, into the manufacturing side of it. How did you get other members on your team? Obviously, well, I guess Kelvin would have handled you know some of the marking, maybe not all of it. I kind of never been a real corporate person. I, I tend to find individuals who are very good at what they do. So I had Kelvin on my team. He had the marketing handled, 
and he had enough money to to do what we needed to do, right? So he had the financial side of it handled, a time handled, and then we had David Williams who had the manufacturing side of it, and we needed someone to produce the commercials. So Kerwin again knew some people who actually he worked with, <coughs> and he took charge of this side. There was two people, John Miller and Derek Swartz. They were the people who actually produced the commercials. And how it would work is that when they produced, a, they wanted to produce even the original commercial, I flew over to America and I would make the models. Kelvin would handle the sales side. He'd be like the director. And then you'd have John and Derek would write the commercials and we'd produce, you know, between us, we would produce the commercials. And once Kelvin had a commercial, then he would go out and buy airtime. And with the kids' product, it was like generally it was on Nickelodeon. And I always okay. remember also when Kelvin made the decision to be involved in Better Blocks, all the so-called experts at the time were saying, Kelvin, you're like, you'll never sell a kid's toy by direct response on TV because no one had ever done it before and, and people didn't believe you could do it. Because, and they said the kids don't have credit cards. How the hell are they going to buy it? But what they forgot was the, the kids pestering their parents, come and watch this, Mum, come and watch this, Dad, see this commercial, we need some of those. And we went on to be the longest-running um, the longest running direct-selling product in America. Like we lasted for about nine years. That was unheard of in that industry. So, yeah, so we brought in, um, you know, John Miller and Derek, Derek Swartz became involved. And when it came to handling of all the, the distribution, because we people would buy it off the TV, Kerwin would buy the product out of New Zealand, ship it into to the like the East Coast or West Coast ports like Los Angeles or, or New York, the East Coast, West Coast ports. He would have warehousing there and because people would ring up and buy it through the through the telemarketing service, it would all be distributed from the warehouses where it landed. So we didn't we had a we had a large business, so to speak, that that we didn't necessarily own if, if you understand what i'm saying plus we did pretty well on qvc as well so qvc would, would purchase and stock the product and and they would distribute it through their channels as well what surprised you about the inventing process and bringing a product to market now thinking about it what truly surprised me and i didn't realize it till you asked that question thank you for that was the was the willingness of people to help me out, to support me, and to be involved? It was truly um to be now I think about it was it was truly a humbling experience to think that that people thought enough of me, thought enough of my product, that they wanted to be involved in it, that they wanted to put money into it, and that they wanted to make it successful. And that was um, I, like I never realised that about 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 people and about humanity. I was an introverted guy who shut myself off from people. So the, the catch is when you shut yourself off to people from people, you don't get to see like, like you don't get to see how good people really can be because I shut myself off from it. It's like when I went bankrupt. Um, one of the things that that 
I really needed to learn was about humility because I had this kind of self-righteous arrogance about me and I'm not saying that I still that I still don't. After being bankrupt, I learn about humility and about being humble and about that I'm not better than anyone else. I may do some things, you know, may have certain skills that are pretty good and, and better than some people, but as a human being, I'm not better. You know, we were kind of all much the same. We just out there giving our life a best shot. So, yeah, it was humility. And, you know, and part of when I went bankrupt, you know, I had some friends, some really good friends who were, invo- were involved in that business too and they went were involved in it because I was involved in it, right? So they had confidence in me. And telling your friends that they'd lost their money was not an easy gig. Like, I, you know, when I, when I knew what was going on, I thought, well, I've got to face all, of, all my friends, right? I've got to face them face-to-face and tell them because I just couldn't back out of that and again it truly amazed me how some of these people are still my friends today because I thought oh they're going to hate me and all the rest they're going to blame me and all the rest of it but they didn't a lot of them respected the fact that I just went and told them face to face what was going on and apologized for my part of the deal of bringing them into it you know it's interesting that the things that we learn and, and the things that surprise us about people. You know, I think that if we if we give people the opportunity to shine, often they shine way brighter than I could possibly imagine them to shine, you know. And then that's been the case. You know, and Kelvin became a great friend of mine. He was uh, like I did a licensing deal that, that I've never heard of anyone else do. It's like. Kelvin, you know, Kelvin would pay me my royalty. When he paid David for the goods in New Zealand, he included my royalty in that payment. So I would be paid my royalty before Kelvin even had the goods, let alone sold them and let alone collected any money. Wow. Most people, are, you know, it's when the person sells the goods, you've got to wait 30, 60, 90, 100, whatever it is, right? I was paid before Kelvin was paid. And, you know, and I would go over to, to America when uh, with, you know, because Kelvin said, all right, look, I'll pay for all your expenses and fees to go to America when we produce commercials. Because I had a young daughter at the time and, and my partner, I would pay for their air trip over there and Kelvin would pick up all our expenses at his cost. Now, the deal we had with Kelvin was to pick up my expenses. I want to bring my wife and my kids. That's on me and I pay for the lot, Right. That, that's the way you could read the that's the way the contract was set up but Kelvin never did that like like when we went to America he would pick up all our expenses and would be treated like one of the family so like Kelvin was a phenomenally good guy to me he was just one of those good human beings I don't know if I had done a deal with Hasbro or someone if, if they would have been quite so generous I got, I got no idea but but I've never heard of invent you know I've never heard of sick the inventors have licensed out their products being treated like that, you know, getting more than they bargained for. Mm-hmm. And I, I can even remember one, that's right, David Williams, because I used to get on pretty well with David. David rang me up and he said, look, Warren, he said, um, look, Kelvin hasn't paid us for the for the goods yet, but he said, I've got some money here and I'll send you across, I'll send you across your royalty now. Like David once paid me <laughs> before <laughs> even he was paid. Man, yeah, you, like a, you were doing great there. I, I was. To think that I was involved with people like that is, is like I said, it was, it was truly 
a humbling experience, you know, to think that people would do that for me. I got some wonderful stories about, wonderful memories about about the people. You know, to me, it was never really about the money and that it was about the people I met. Like you said at the start, being, you know, being told that story about bringing dad and your son together for the first time in four years, like even now it makes me feel emotional. That was a true highlight of Better Blocks for me when okay, I heard that now, story. Yeah. Worth, how how do, can you tell that story for us? Well, I, I wasn't there, right? It was I was here in Australia, but Kelvin used to run uh, a competition pretty much every year in Florida for a few years, and it was a competition, and, and he'd hire one of the community halls. He'd promote it that, you know, kids, build your models and bring them in. And he had different sections for different types of models. We'd judge all the models, and the best sections, the winners of each section win prizes, win better blocks and various kits and different stuff. And it was quite a popular competition. And and Kelvin rang me up after this, and, and he told me the story. And he said, he said, Warren, he said, look, he said, I had this dad come up to me, and, and he thanked me, really genuinely thanked me for bringing out better blocks. And and Kelvin said, so it wasn't just, you know, it just wasn't the normal thanks, mate. And he said, he said, you know, there's a little bit more, you know, tell me about it. There's a little, it seems to be a little bit more than that. And that's when this dad said to him, look. It's the first time I've sat down in my, with my son and played with him and I sat down for half a day to build these models. Wow. And it kind of brought tears to my eyes and, and it almost does. Like, it almost does now. But it's those kind of things that you can't predict, you can't write into business plans. You, you just get out there and do what you do. And it's, uh, But, yeah, that, that story, that is just... That's the most memorable thing that I've ever gone out of bed a lot. In fact, wow, and it made a difference to, to the to this to this family's lives. And to me, yeah. it doesn't get better than that. I can just imagine at the end of your life, when you go on and you meet your maker, him bringing that up and saying, <laughs> "Well done, Warren." Actually, I like the way you say that, Greg. I can only, uh, I, I can only, I, to be honest, I can only hope. So, no, I'm dead serious when I say that. Yeah, I, I, I can tell, and I've never looked at it like that, and, and I can only hope. You know, like I said, I, I haven't been a perfect human being, and I've, you know, I've done some things that I'm definitely not proud of. But these days, I try and do more things like that because, yeah, it was, it was a gift for me. It was, it was priceless, that gift. That's me on me during the hard times. It went for, you know, direct to market for nine years. Why did it end after that? The simple answer was that it's like I said, right, I was an inventor, so I didn't know a lot about business. You know, this was $100,000 in debt because I didn't know a lot about business, right? And I came across Kelvin. And what I thought was, was that Kelvin, because he was so good at selling stuff, he would be able to build this into a business. And I thought it was the same thing. But what I learned was, was looking back at it, was that Kelvin was extremely good at selling stuff. Direct marketing, that's, that's what he did. But just because he was good at selling product on TV and selling better blocks on TV, didn't mean he knew how to turn that into a business. When you have a look at direct marketing people, often direct marketing people have 
are great at selling products. And then two or three years, a lot, the lifespan of direct selling that product is, is terminated, is finished. Is, so they're looking for new products to sell. Sometimes they can get them, like the really good organisations now, use that as a base to get it into your, you know, into Walmarts and, and the bigger stores and, and open up other opportunities. They're the people that can turn it into a business. Well, Kelvin wasn't one of those people. We had it in Toys R Us at the time and some of the big retailers, but there's a difference between selling a product on TV yourself where you control the whole process or supporting a retailer to sell your product for you where you only control part of the process. And that's what we didn't get right. <coughs> I'm not saying any slide on Kelvin. I'm just saying that, that that was what he was good at. And because he was good at selling, I assumed he was good at other things mm-hmm. because I thought they were one and the same, but in actual fact, they're, they're, they're completely different skills. So that, you know, that, that was why Better Blocks ran its course after nine or ten years. It was a journey. It's like I don't regret it for one bit because I can remember when I first went across, you know, Kelvin, we were selling well on direct response. Kelvin got Better Blocks into QVC, right? Mm-hmm. So they said, you know, Kelvin said, why don't you have the inventor on for your first segment? You know, do a bit of novelty. So there was... There was good old Warren Wilson, this this little guy from Adelaide, Australia, and there was Dan Hughes, who was a, one of the presenters at QVC. Dan was a great guy. And I can remember, so I went on to this first segment where we were selling blocks. And this is a guy that just kind of graduated from his backyard shed. And, and we sold like $100,000 worth of blocks in 12 minutes. I just went, Wow. I didn't even know this world existed, Greg. And that's the sort of things that you can do, like that you can find out. You know, there was a whole world out there that I never knew existed, but I'm so grateful that I got in the game. So certainly we could have done some things differently and certainly we could have done some things differently. But there were opportunities that I was introduced to and that I can use now that I never ever knew existed you know so so it was kind of gold for me but yeah so that was why better blocks didn't sell anymore after about 10 years let's talk about what are some of the opportunities that you you got exposed to and that you're doing now some of the opportunities i got exposed to was really and you touched on it earlier was really i i seem to have the ability to get people involved in my projects. That was something that I never realised that I could do. Uh, and Kelvin was, was one of the first people to introduce me to that. And it's like with my kids' entrepreneurial programs and, and inventing and goal-setting programs, you know, I've, just, I've got some magnificent people involved in these projects. And I seem to have the ability to do that. So that, that was the strength of mine that I can use to get my you know, new projects off the ground. And it's not about really me getting my new projects off the ground. It's that, that effect that I reckon I can make a difference to more kids' lives and more teachers, you know, make teachers' lives easier and more parents' lives. And to me, if I've got a, the better the team around me and the better that I can kind of direct things, the more effective we're going to be out there with people. So it was really, um, it, was, it, was the, it was the people skills that, that I didn't know 
that I had that I've kind of developed. That that's the real um, goal for me. And it, you know, it's just, you know, I'm over sixty, so it's taken me. You know, it's been a bit of a year. Taken me a little while. You know, I, you know, I can be a quick learner at times, and sometimes it takes me a long time to learn stuff. But you and me yeah, both. That's yeah, that's, you know, that life's an adventure. That's the way it is, mate. But you know. You know. <laughs> It's like, like the overnight success that takes, you know, 20 years to get there. I'm, I'm a bit the same sometimes with that, you know. Let's talk about your kids' entrepreneurial program that you're developing as well as the inventing program. I was saying before that I was fortunate enough because I was a successful inventor to get um, invited into schools to speak to kids about inventing. And what I quickly came to realise was that teachers had very few resources to teach their students about inventing, about entrepreneurship, about how money worked. Kids are naturally curious and they're naturally creative and naturally entrepreneurial. And what I, what I realised was with the school system <coughs> was that kids are born like curious and entrepreneurial and, and they have great empathy for their friends and they're born with these wonderful characteristics. And for some reason, the education system kind of educates that out of them and, and, and we get it educated out of us. Remember, the education system was originally designed in the 1900s to teach people for jobs, to, to teach mm-hmm. people to learn how to do jobs. People like Henry Ford and and the Rockefeller set up the education system to create people for their factories. There's no problem with that. The problem is is it's still much the same. I wanted to do something about it. And my whole approach was not to try and turn kids into entrepreneurs or inventors, but, but try and foster kids to keep hold of their dreams and their curiosity and their natural love of learning, to keep that and to build on it. So that's why I developed some um, kids' educational or an entrepreneurial program where we had where we found these entrepreneurial kids and we built a program around it. Because it was one thing for Warren to get up when he's 50 years old to, to share my experiences but it's a whole nother thing for some kids to get up who are maybe three or four or five years older than, than, the, than the kids you're trying to teach and to share their experiences of how they were successful. Like kids take a whole lot more attention to, mm-hmm. to, you know, to kids who've done what they want to do. So we found these, some of these kids and built, some, built a program around it, teaching kids about entrepreneurship. And uh, we did some testing of it. And it's, it's really worked very well. Now it's a matter of, of how we're going to get it out into the marketplace. And again, yep. some interesting opportunities have come up around that. What are some of the opportunities, if, if you can talk about them? There's some people that I was speaking to over the past few days. They're called the Global Innovation Field Trip or GIFT. The people behind this are absolutely astounding. What they do is they run four times a year now. They run these, I guess, not necessarily workshops, but they invite people from all around the world, inventors and other kids and that, to to share about what they're doing and to share about their ideas, to share about the people who are involved in them. And there's been some really astounding relationships in that that have come out of that. Now, interestingly enough, one of their strong points is the videos that, that the kids send in about what they're doing. 
Well, that's the basis of what I do. We videoed kids, entrepreneurs, you know, young entrepreneurs telling their story, and then we pulled the video apart and built a program around it, which was actually quite easy to do. And these people are kind of halfway there. So we're looking at how can we work together to, to make what they do more powerful, more powerful as a learning tool, more powerful so that parents or teacher, you know, parents or teachers or grandparents who want to teach their kids about entrepreneurship to make a program that they can go to that's really easy for them to use. I got some great partners involved in this project. Like one of them is a woman called Judith DePrang, who set up a, a, a kids mentoring program for an organization that she was involved with. It was about kids would go into this program. It was a, a program for, for underprivileged kids, really. Kids would go through this program and some would come out the other side and they'd be like, a, you know, they'd, they'd, you can see that they were good leaders. So she set up a mentoring program so that the kids that, that came out of this program who still wanted to be involved could come back into the program as mentors for younger kids. And, you know, there's nothing more powerful than something like that. So that, that's the sort of thing we can bring into our entrepreneurial-type programs as well. The kids that have really excelled at it, they can come back into what we do and they can work with, they can work with other young kids and effectively become teachers. There's, there's plenty of opportunities out there. It's a matter of bringing, on, bringing them all together. And I don't, I, can, I don't know how it's going to all come together, Greg, because so, sometimes I delude myself, right? I think I know how it's going to work out, but invariably it never does. It's, it's like John Wilkie. I could have never predicted John Wilkie, right? And, and my life's like that. One thing I do know is when I get clear on it, the universe tends to, to support me in totally unexpected ways. So we'll see how that works out. I, you know, I have a good sense about it, to be honest. Back to the John Wilkie example, if you were to write that into a novel, <laughs> people would be criticizing you because it's so unbelievable. You know, <laughs> life doesn't work that way. <laughs> That's true. And, and also you, you have other people would be criticizing me because you're telling some guy all about your ideas. You know, shouldn't you be getting him to sign a non-disclosure agreement first or weren't you worried <laughs> about him ripping you or whatever? And I always go, no, I just, no, I just, I, t- I tell people all I can because my thinking is if you want them to be involved or interested in what you're doing, you need to tell them the whole story doesn't work not telling him the whole story when when this guy ran off you know with all our money well, that was for a whole different reason and, and it didn't stop me from trusting people because a friend of mine said to me she she said warren if we hadn't have found um this guy to run off with our money we, we, we would have found someone else and, I, and i'm a great believer in that you know I, like i chose to put my money in this investment because of who i was and where i was at the time Whereas the Warren Wilson of today would never make that decision. So, you know, you, we've just got to be responsible for our lives and go, you know, it's a bit of a, you know, it probably would have been preferred not to happen, but that's the way it was. Let's get ready to wrap this up. Is there anything that I haven't asked or touched on that you'd like to cover? Thank you for the questions you've asked. You, you've made me think and made me remember times that I'd forgotten about and have insights into myself that I kind of didn't realize but no I guess like inventing to me is like anything you just got to give it your best shot you don't have to but to be successful like just have faith in your abilities 
that you can achieve what you want to achieve. They may not work out exactly how you want them to work out, but they also may work out better. Just that having that belief in our abilities to make our dreams come true and to, and to share our dream. You know, it takes a lot of courage to share your dreams. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and being an inventor, even these days, there's people that I'll talk about what I'm doing with. And there's people that I really won't bring it up with because I know that, you know, the reaction I'm going to get is probably not going to be that supportive. But, but have the courage to share your dreams with people because you never know how, how they may help, help you make them come true. It's like, you know, like me with John Wilkie and, and QVC and all those things. They all happened because I had the courage to share, to share my inner dreams and my inner desires with people. My experience is people often are above my expectations of them, and that's a really cool thing, you know, really cool thing. So what piece of software or app do you find indispensable helping you today, either in the inventing process or, like, you know, or helping with your, um, you know, developing your programs for entrepreneurial or or kids inventing? Oh, oh, well, actually, I, I must admit, I, I smile at myself. And I'm not a – I love tech, right? But the thing is I'm not a real app tech person. And, and, and the apps that I find in my inventing are actually things like LinkedIn because um, LinkedIn is a great way of connecting with people. It's a phenomenally good way. So, so things like that work for me. But, see, I'm a – I'm a bit of the older generation, and what I do is whiteboards. Mm-hmm. I, I have um, like five whiteboards in my space, and if you could see my space now, you'd see them. And that's how I manage all my projects from whiteboards. And part of it is because on a whiteboard, you can only fit so much. So the, 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 what it does for me is that, is that it focuses me to get the important things and the important things are there so that when I want more details, then I can go into my spreadsheets or, or Word docs or folders to find it. So, yeah, I, I'm probably, when it comes to, to using tech for inventors, I'm probably not the best person to speak to. But, yeah, whiteboards for me. And as far as meeting people, you know, LinkedIn is, is a medium, is, is, the, is what I use to meet people. And there's probably something, too, about the physical act of writing helps reinforce something. There, actually, there is. Uh, actually, and that's a good point. And that was, not very, very, not many people I've heard say that. It is, for me, when I'm doing a new, starting a new project or something, I write because there's something about the thinking and the writing and that whole process that gels it all in for me. And it's like a writing is an extension of my creativity. And, that, and that's how I do it. And on, on whiteboards, I get a great. I, know, I get a lot of pleasure about writing on my whiteboards and oh, what color am I going to write this in? Kind of thing. And my wife's an artist and she she kind of shudders at some of the colors that I choose. But oh, my whiteboards are for me. But yeah, there is. It's it's just something about the process that for me is part of the creative. You know, because I I was a person who learns by, by making things. That was a great thing about having an engineering workshop. I could make stuff, and that's how I learned. 
and whiteboards and writing as, a, as just an extension of that. Okay. What's the best way for our listeners to check you out and get in touch with you, Warren? Best way is I've got a, a website, warrenwilsoninventor.com. If you want to go and send me some messages or that through there, I'd be more than happy to ex- accept or through LinkedIn. I've got a profile on LinkedIn. Just look up Warren Wilson on LinkedIn. You'll, I think you'll see Warren Wilson and you'll get to know which is probably the one with me. There's very few of us in Australia, so Warren Wilson in Australia. Please, please join join through LinkedIn. You know, I love connecting with people through LinkedIn. And also I just remembered I actually wrote a couple of books called I Had to Think Like an Inventor is one of them and another one is about all the obstacles in inventors, uh, that inventors face and my challenges. They're, they're really books about my um, – about my journey with better blocks, like I wrote them a while ago. So if anyone is interested, you can go to Amazon and, and have a look there for Warren Wilson, you know, how to think like an inventor and see if anything there interests you. So, so yeah, I thought I, I normally I forget to, to, um, to give my books a bit of a subtle plug, a plug Greg, so, so I hope you don't mind me taking the opportunity. But the books were written. Not at all. Yeah, but the books were written about. You know, the, you know, what did I learn from Better Blocks? You know, how, how did I do it? How did I get it off the ground? And, you know, it's all the inside information, you know. And, Greg, you certainly covered a lot of it today. But, but it's, you know, it's what I learned about, from you know, going from a backyard shed to having a product that was pretty successful on, on an international scale. What's the number one piece of advice that you can give for our listeners? Never give up. Never give up on your dreams, mate. Never give up on your dreams. Like, it's never. Because, you know, my, my dream was to educate kids and I had that in the late 90s was when that really first, really first became important to me. And here I am, it's 2022, 26, 27 years later and I'm still going. And I've been through good times. I've been through bankruptcy. I've been through a whole lot. But I'm still going because it's important to me. So never, ever give up on your dreams, ever. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you, Warren, for being a guest on Entrepreneurs Over 40. Thanks, Greg. Look, it's been an absolute delight. If you'd like to leave feedback on this episode or suggest a guest, you can reach me at eo40show at gmail.com. That's eo40show at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe in your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss it or any other episodes. Thank you for listening to Entrepreneurs Over 40. Check us out at entrepreneursover40.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast directory.